hey everybody, welcome to the D Group Podcast. I'm your host, Rodney Mills, and I'm so glad that you're listening. You've made an incredible commitment to devote your life to living the Jesus way. And before we jump into this first week's podcast, I wanted to go over just a couple of things about how it works and how you might get the most out of it. The podcast makes it convenient for you to listen to what we call the big idea. In the early weeks, you won't have a lesson to listen to or read every week, but eventually we'll pick up the pace in just a few weeks, and often you'll have a lesson every week, sometimes every other week. Now, these audio lessons will be 15 to 30 minutes long, sometimes a bit longer, and they're going to become a central part of your weekly D-group meetings. Now, of course, you can listen to these files directly from the website at nwc.fm, or, and then that'll take you to a link to our D-group section of that site we're building. Or you can subscribe to it through a, a podcasting app on your smartphone by searching for Northway's D-Group Podcast in whatever podcasting app that you use. The cool thing about that is that most podcast apps have a speed adjustment, and I actually listen to podcasts at one and a half speed. So a 20-minute podcast is cut down to 15 minutes of listening time. It's, it's not that much of a savings, but it, it helps a little bit. Now, while I recommend you listen to these audio files, we've also provided, of course, a, a printed transcript of each lesson in your D-Group binders. And so that way... In addition to the notes that I've made in your binder, you can go through the transcript and you can highlight the things that stand out to you as you prepare to bring a point of view to your D group. Now, you're going to notice we've also included some discussion questions at the end of each lesson, so be sure to think through those at least a bit before your group meeting. And again, always bring a point of view. Come prepared. Now, one more thing I want to personally encourage you with before we get to the big idea this week. Uh, your, your, uh, your reading in the early weeks take you through the Sermon on the Mount and the Gospel of Mark. And I want you to keep in mind the concept that we, that we are apprenticing our lives to Jesus. So try to read the Gospel like you're immersing yourself into the story as one of Jesus' actual disciples. Hang on to every word. Watch everything he does, where he goes, when and how he prays, who he hangs out with, and of course, all his direct teachings. When we're in the Gospels, we're watching close for how we can model our lives and our character after Jesus. That's what this whole study is about. And don't rush it. I know you're using the reading plan as a way to hear from God each day using that alert journal that you're going to get comfortable with in the days and weeks ahead, but don't think that these readings have to be crammed in all at one time. Maybe you read for a few moments in the morning and you get to a place where that special word jumps out at you. So you just stop right there and you, you use that alert method, the listening and examine section, to, to process what you're hearing from God. And then you can even come back later and finish reading the rest of the chapter for the, for the day, maybe at the end of the day. Same goes for all these steps in the alert model. 
You could pray part of it in the morning, and then at the end of the day, do your examine and thanksgiving parts. There's flexibility here. You, you don't have to feel like you have to process everything the first time you read through the Sermon on the Mount or through the Gospel of Mark or, or any of the many other New Testament books we'll be reading. Listen, you're going to be coming back here over and over in the years to come. And so it's most important to just listen to what God has for you today. That's what we want you to learn, especially in these first few weeks. Learn how to hear the voice of God through Scripture. Get used to what that feels like, what it sounds like. And then once you get used to that in the weeks ahead, you'll begin to realize that you're hearing the voice of God throughout your day, even when you're not reading Scripture, because you're used to what His voice sounds like. Well, all right, let's jump in, folks. Here's the big idea for lesson number one. I fell in love with music at a very early age. I was immersed in church music, of course. Um, Congregational singing is one of my earliest memories. Hearing my mom belt out the echoing alto parts of those old hymns and what we used to call convention book songs. Now, I started singing in church with my brother when I was in the fifth or sixth grade, I think. There were a lot of other musical influences in my life as well. Uh, I started playing trombone in the fourth grade, and over the years, I developed a, a real love for instrumental music, particularly jazz and film scores. And by the time I was a senior in high school, I was playing piano and even dabbling in writing and arranging music. But probably no one influenced my music more than this guy that you've probably never even heard of. His name was Larry Goss. I didn't even realize it for a long time, but so much of the Christian music that I loved and listened to was produced by this legend. The older I got, the more I started reading his names on the liner notes of albums and cassette tapes if any of you remember what those were. He was the producer of some of my favorite artists, and he was the sound behind the artist, sort of like the hit maker David Foster maybe you've been familiar with. Larry had this very distinctive style of playing the piano, and his arrangements and orchestrations were just so moving. I'd listened to his music so much over the years that my own style began to take on characteristics of Larry. I didn't realize it at first. It wasn't even intentional for a long time, but, but people in the know started making comments about the chords I would use or the riffs I would play on the piano, that they sounded like Larry. And in time, as I continued to advance in my love for music and recording, I started being more intentional about learning from what I heard Larry produce. I intentionally studied his chords and I mimicked his playing style, and I got better because of it. And as I arranged music for the churches I served in, I kept growing, and, and I started doing these recording projects with them. And that led to producing other small-time Christian artists. And, but the deal was, I wanted to get even better. I wanted to master this craft. And I would listen to Larry's music and, and know that at a deeper level than most people understand, he and I spoke the same language. He was much more fluent than me, of course, and, and I wanted to know even more. So Christy finally persuaded me to get in touch with Larry. And through some mutual acquaintances, I was able to track down his assistant. And after several weeks of persistence, she was able to set up a breakfast between Larry and I. And that morning, I just got to tell you, that morning was incredible. I shared my heart. I told him I just wanted to open a dialogue with someone who 
understood my heart and passion for music, but before the breakfast was over, it was clear that he and I had made a connection. He looked at me and he said, hey Rodney, why don't you come to Nashville and work with me? Just drive up one day a week, hang out with me in the studio, watch, observe, we'll go to lunch and you can ask me any question you like. And I'm like, are you kidding me? I mean, right there on the spot, without ever even hearing any of my music, this legendary producer asked me to basically intern with him. And so I spent about the next year driving back and forth from North Georgia to Nashville, soaking in every moment, studying every note of music, watching him interact with some of the world's greatest musicians, watching engineers do their magic. I'm telling you, there was no school on earth that could have ever provided this kind of education. And that apprenticeship actually led to several years of arranging and producing and engineering and and being published by the church world's biggest name. My music was used in churches all over the planet. I'm telling you, it was an incredible season of my life, doing things I'd always dreamed of but had no idea God would allow me to do at such a high level. Now, I don't tell you any of this important story from my life to brag. Trust me, I don't. I'm very humbled by it. But rather, I share it with you to introduce one of the most important concepts that you're ever going to consider as a follower of Christ. You see, this study is all about apprenticeship. Apprenticeship is a word that's actually really captured my heart over the last few years. There's something really uniquely relational about the word. Generally speaking, an apprentice is a person who submits or binds themselves to a master craftsman for the sake of learning a trade. It's different than classroom learning in that it's immersive and it's hands-on, it's experiential, and again, it's relational. You see, what I did with Larry was to immerse myself in his way of producing music. Even before I met him personally, I I listened intensely to his music. I studied it, I put it into practice. But that wasn't enough for me. I had to get even closer. I needed to ask him questions. Watch how he actually created his signature sound from the inside out. And I was able to apprentice myself to him. And I was so blessed that he took me under his wing to allow it. And what I would like to submit to you is perhaps a change of perspective on what you may think the Christian life is all about. And actually, maybe it's just more of a refocusing of what it's all about. Now, to get us started, here's a primary and basic truth. Jesus calls us to be his disciples so that we will lead others to be his disciples. And so I want to start our journey of discovery at the end of the first gospel in Matthew 28. Now, it may be the end of the story as far as Matthew's gospel is concerned, but of course, we know it's really only the beginning. Let's look at some of Jesus' very familiar final words he offered his closest followers as his time of being physically present was coming to an end. This is Matthew 28, verse 16. The eleven disciples traveled to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had directed them. When they saw him, they worshipped, but some doubted. Jesus came near and said to them, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I've commanded you. And remember, I'm with you always to the end of the age. 
And here we see it in black and white. Jesus calls his disciples to make disciples. Verse 16 tells us he was talking to his 11 original primary disciples, his apostles, as his great commission in verse 19 commands those disciples to make disciples. And this has been the mission of the church from that day forward. For all the other things we tried to make the church to be, it always comes back to this. Jesus calls us to be his disciples so that we will lead others to be his disciples. And since we have this commission given to us with such great clarity, we need to really understand what a disciple actually is, especially as it relates to being a disciple of Jesus. Now, for those of you who've been in the church for a long time, Many things may come to mind when you think of the term discipleship. Often we think of it as some kind of training program, maybe a series of classes teaching biblical principles. But what did Jesus have in mind? Within the context of his time in history, what did it mean to be a disciple? When we, when we study the literature of Jesus' day, we see that the term disciple was often used when people followed a great leader and emulating his life and then ultimately passing along those teachings. But it was much more than passing of information. It was imitating the teacher's life and instilling and living out his values. As an example, there's good evidence that boys up to the age of 13 were trained in the Torah or the Jewish scriptures in what we might think of as primary schools, elementary schools. If he wanted further training in order to one day become a scribe or a teacher or even a rabbi, he might leave his home seeking to study under a certain scholar. We see example of this in the life of Paul, who was from Tarsus but moved to Jerusalem to study under the famous Rabbi Gamaliel. And in this way, these teenage boys would not only continue learning the information, the interpretation of Scripture, but they would also immerse themselves into the life of the teacher, ultimately imitating the life and faith of their master. The concept is similar to my experiences with my great mentor, Larry Goss. I immersed my learning by being with him in the studio watching him work, asking questions, soaking up every moment with the hopes that I could be a great arranger and producer like him. And likewise, to be a disciple of in Jesus' day was to immerse oneself into the teachings and the values and the lifestyle actions and the, the way of life of the master in order to learn and absorb not just the knowledge and the information, but so the master's ways would become a natural outflow of the apprentice. It was all of life transformational. So, when Jesus calls us to be his disciple, here's what I think he has in mind. Now, pay close, and this is, pay close attention. This is the big idea, and it's a pretty long sentence, so you'll need to look at it in your transcript for sure. A disciple of Christ is a person who is willing to give up their preconceived ideas of what life is all about, to abandon their previous way of living, immersing themselves into the way, the truth, and the life of the master in order to be like Christ. Now think about that for a moment. Is that how you would characterize your relationship to Jesus? Have you, as the word apprentice means, have you submitted and bound yourself to the master for the sake of learning and mastering his way of life? Not just part of your life, not just the sin and need of forgiveness part of your life, but your whole life. Are you truly a disciple of Christ? Are you apprenticing your whole life to him? So to help answer these questions, 
Let's walk through this big idea step by step. First of all, a disciple of Christ is a person who is willing to give up their preconceived ideas of what life is all about. Let's start in Mark chapter 1 at the very beginning. This is verse 14. After John was arrested, Jesus went to Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Now, we all have a very complex view of the world and how we fit into it. I don't have near enough time to go into such a deep philosophical conversation, but suffice it to say this, our childhood, our experiences, our parents, our environments, our teachers, our hurts and failures, our triumphs and victories, our families, our marriages, all these things, they serve to shape what we think about life and our place within the world. For the most part, many of us believe that the world revolves around us, even if not in a crazy narcissistic kind of way. We think life is minimally about survival, and at times it's mostly about winning. I mean, this seems normal because everyone around us is doing the same. And so when Jesus steps onto the scene with his initial invitation saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, believe the good news, he's declaring that there's a whole new way of experiencing life. And those are the first two words he uses to call people. Repent and believe. The kingdom of heaven has come near, and he's inviting us into it. And that invitation begins with the word repent. And so it's so important to grasp if you really want to apprentice your whole life to Christ. The root of the Greek word translated repent is metanoia. Uh, Metanoia is a combination of two Greek words. Meta means overarching or total or perhaps even the big picture. Meta. Think metamorphosis where the caterpillar doesn't change just a little. It experiences total transformation. And the second half of the Greek word is noia. It means knowledge. It's related to how you think. And so when you combine those two words, you see that it means to have a a radical transformation of outlook, to see something differently from a, a new angle, to have a fundamental change of thinking. Dallas Willard says it means think about how you've been thinking. And it's not just any thinking you're changing toward. It's his way of thinking. You'll, you'll need to believe that what he says is the truth, the right way to think. Let's put this together. So to be his disciple, you have to be willing for Christ as the master to challenge every aspect of your thinking. What is right and just and fair? What are appropriate responses to life's challenges and toughest people? Your values? your moral virtues, every single worldview floating around in that incredible brain of yours, you have to be willing to give all that up. You can't hold to any of it if you're going to apprentice your life to Jesus. He's the teacher. He's the one with the right thinking. And we have to be willing to experience a total reformation of our minds, to believe he is the one with the words of life, to repent, to change the way we think, and to believe his words. But not only does it require us to give up our preconceived ideas of what life is all about, how we think about life, a disciple of Christ is one who is willing to abandon their previous way of living. Now let's look now to to Luke chapter 9, because if you thought simply giving Christ 100% access to change your thinking and worldview was a a lot, then think deeply about this next challenge. 
Then he said to them all, if anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. For whatever one, for whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life because of me will save it. For what does it benefit someone if he gains a whole world and yet loses or forfeits himself? And so now we see Jesus using this extreme follower kind of language. Most of us probably don't think about how extreme he really was. In Luke 14, he said, and I paraphrase, that to follow him, get this, we'll need to hate our father and mother, our wife and children, our brothers and sisters, and even our own lives. Now, these are some of the hardest sayings of Jesus. He says this in Luke 14. Here it is, 33. He even says, every one of you who does not renounce all his possessions cannot be my disciple. I mean, clearly, using hyperbole, perhaps, Jesus was making a point that if you're really going to be one of his disciples, not only does it take you to require you to see life differently, to think about it differently, it has to take the utmost top priority in every facet of your life, from relationships to finances. You have to be willing to leave it all behind. Using a word, it should be easy to understand. He says, follow me. He invites us to follow him. So repent and believe. Now, follow completely. Listen to how one of my mentors, the late Dallas Willard, puts it. Becoming a disciple is a matter of giving up your life as you've understood it to that point. And without that giving up, you cannot be his disciple. Because you'll still think you're in charge and just in need of a little help from Jesus for your project of a successful life. But our idea of a successful life is precisely our problem. You see, being a disciple of Christ is all about giving up control. And that's one of the hardest things that any of us will ever have to do. But here's the deal. We're not just giving up control and abandoning the worldview we've had since our childhood. We're replacing it. We're replacing it with something even greater and more beautiful. And even though the letting go may be tough and even scary, it is actually full of security. It's better wisdom for life's toughest decisions and a, a new perspective on people and our family and our jobs and our whole life. Well, how do we discover that? Well, that's the next little bit of our big idea. You see, a disciple of Christ is one who is immersing themselves into the way, the truth, and the life of the master. Remember that definition of the word apprentice I gave you later, uh, earlier? Not later, earlier. An apprentice is a person who submits or binds themselves to a master craftsman for the sake of learning a trade. Well, here's a perfect example of that, and as the very thing Jesus was inviting us into, here's Matthew chapter 4. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, Jesus saw two brothers, Simon, who's called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. Now, no doubt, these brothers had grown up in the family business. They had likely apprenticed to their father, and we can surely believe that they knew their trade. They were probably masters at it. And so when Jesus invites them into a new trade, that of fishing for men, it resonated with them. 
I mean, and you've got to love the imagery here, too. It says they left their nets and followed. Now, think of what those nets might have represented. They left their security. They left their previous way of living, their sustenance, the only life they'd probably ever known to hand out into this whole new adventure. And it might even cause us to pause and think, what have we left behind? What nets are we willing to drop? But what was Jesus' promise? He said, if you come follow me, if you stick with me, I'll show you how to master this new trade, so to speak, this new way of living as a kingdom citizen so that in turn, you too can introduce it to other people and train them in these ways. The only way these disciples could fully grasp and understand what this kingdom life that Jesus spoke of was to fully immerse themselves into his ways, to observe him day by day as he interacted with others, to watch him pull away for solitude and prayer, to touch the untouchable and love the unlovable, to freely go from home to home, dining with the riffraff and hanging out with folks across the tracks. And they hung on to every word of his truth, wrestling with his parables, arguing about the interpretation of Old Testament passages. They immersed themselves into the way, the truth, and the life of the master. And that's exactly what he was looking for. He said in Matthew 11, Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take up my yoke, and get this, take up my yoke and learn from me, because I'm lowly and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Eugene Peterson puts verse 29 like this, Walk with me, work with me, watch how I do it. To apprentice your whole life to Jesus is to remain present to him, interacting, fellowshipping with him, which leads us to an intimate knowledge of who he really is and how he works. And this is our aim. These disciples did just that, watching his life as he demonstrated his love all the way to the cross, showing just how far this kingdom way can take those who live it to the fullest. Paul would later say, my goal is to know him and the power of his resurrection, and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed even to his death. You catch that? My goal is to know him in every way. Why? What's the ultimate purpose in all this change of worldview, this abandoning of our old life and immersing ourselves into his kingdom way? Well, that's the last little bit of our big idea. It's in order to be like Christ. This is it, friend, to to be like Jesus. This is our goal. The aim of our life is to be like Christ. You might even want to say that out loud. It's our disciples' mantra. The aim of my life is to be like Christ. This is our destiny, the very life we were meant to live. Paul said to the Romans, For those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son so that he would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. That's what God has in mind for you, what he's always had in mind for you. The aim of your life is to be like Christ. If you've been wondering just what your life is all about, where you can find true meaning and purpose, this is it. Jesus said it himself. A disciple's not above his teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like his teacher. I mean, do you see it? I mean, we could have so many ideas of what being a Christian is all about. Attending church, giving to good causes, studying the Bible, going to heaven, being on the right side of social issues, and and a long, long list of other very good and noble things, all of which may be included in Jesus' proposition. But at the end of the day, 
We can simplify all of that down to one thing, and this is it. The aim of my life is to be like Christ. In one of the most beautiful pictures you'll ever see in the Bible, at the Last Supper, just hours before he'll be beaten, mocked, and scorned, Jesus, the King of Kings, he kneels down in front of his disciples to do the most menial of tasks, and he washes their feet. Listen to his explanation of why he would do such a thing. This is John chapter 13, verse 12. When Jesus had washed their feet and put on his outer clothing, he reclined again and said to them, Do you know what I've done for you? I mean, has Jesus ever asked a more important question? Do you know what I've done for you? Do you understand what this is all about? You call me teacher and Lord, and you're speaking rightly since this is what I am. So if I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. Get this one really good. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done for you. Truly, I tell you, a servant's not greater than his master, and a messenger's not greater than the one who sent him. And if you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. You also should do just as I have done for you. And what he's saying is, he's saying, obey me. And surely they remember from a scene sometime earlier when they heard him say that the truth could set him free, he had told them, if you live by what I say, if you obey my teachings, you are truly my disciples. And all this is running together for them. And that's our fourth word of invitation, though, from Jesus. It's repent and believe, follow and obey. You know, this foot washing scene is is happening at the last time Jesus has all his disciples together. And in that way, I kind of view it as his final summary statement of everything he's taught them for the last three and a half years. He might even call it his commencement address. And so perhaps his disciples reflect on the early days with Jesus when he walked by their fishing boats or their tax collector booths and he invited them to come follow him. And they walked away from their previous lives. They immersed themselves into his life, watching his every subtle and radical way of loving anyone who would receive him. They've listened intensely to his teaching. They've been sent out on little practice missions with the gospel and returned to hear his feedback. They've seen great miracles of healing. They've even watched him not only calm the wind and waves, but even walk on the water. And here they are in this little room, and Jesus has washed their feet and says, Do you know what I've done for you. I've given you an example. Now, boys, it's time for you to go and live it out. How do you define your relationship to Christ in one word? Could you do that? And I think it's made a, been made abundantly clear here today that there's really only one proper way to describe it. I am a disciple. You are a disciple, an apprentice to Jesus. No matter what you've thought it was all about, from this moment forward, Jesus is saying, come follow me, walk with me, work with me, watch how I do it. His invitation to you is this, will you be my disciple? That's the word that should define your relationship. And so I'm challenging you today, friend, refocus your life to be centered and focused on this one thing, to be his disciple. Accept his call to abandon your old worldview of self-centeredness, to be willing to abandon your old life, to let go of your safety nets, and immerse yourself into his way, into his truth, and into his life. Make the aim of your life to be like Christ. Repent, believe, follow, and obey. Let's apprentice ourselves to him and learn to love, live, and lead like Jesus. Jesus. 